Hi there, it's Richard here from Seneca and today in the revised A-Level Chemistry podcast we're going to look at doing some tips and tricks and going over some key content in preparation for your exam tomorrow. So the first thing I want to say is doing the right thing by being here and listening to this podcast and getting some last minute tips but uh, we're going to go through, some, as I say, some of the content, a bit of a stress buster. So let's get going. So first of all you need to note that 15% of the questions and marks in the exam are linked to the practicals that you've been doing over the last couple of years. So you don't just need to know the method, it's really important that you know how to apply the knowledge that you've learned through those practicals. So you might be shown a similar uh, situation, but maybe with different reagents or a different practical scenario. So you need to know how to adapt what you've been doing before to, uh, to those situations. You should also make sure you know the different limitations of uh, such um, practicals so that you can, again, talk about those confidently in your exam. Um, you should also be familiar with all the maths that you need to, to know for all of those practicals. This is really important. You, you're gonna, uh, you might potentially need to do some calculations linked to those. And you also need to know how to name and draw all of the reagents that are involved in that reaction. So that might, again, come up in the, in the exam. So it's really, really easy marks for you to have something you've seen before and to be asked questions on it. So, um, next, you need to know about health and safety specific to those, um, to those practicals. So not just like tie your hair back, wear a lab coat, but what specifically about those practicals is important when you're thinking about health and safety. And also you need to know about areas of uncertainty and potential measurements that you're doing in those experiments. Next tip, not linked to practicals, but is to practice naming your compounds. So you need to know the standardized nomenclature for those different compounds. It's really, really easy marks if you just know how to follow those rules. And they might give you really, really tricky ones, um, but don't, don't sort of stress. Remember to start by looking for the longest chain of carbons and go from there. Go away and look at those if you can't remember them. So also linked to that, remind yourself of the different functional groups you can have in organic molecules and also how they behave and how they react. Now I know there's a lot to remember because there's so, there's so many different functional groups and you need to know all of the different mechanisms and stuff like that. But again, it's a really, really good thing to be doing as a last, bit, uh, last little bit of revision. That's the same actually also goes for different transition metal complexes. Make sure you can name them and make sure you know how they behave. Last tip is that examiners love mechanisms, all right? We might not love mechanisms, but examiners absolutely love them. So it's really important you know how they work. So first of all, be ready to draw mechanisms, be ready to um, complete, partially completed mechanisms. Also, I think what's really important is that when you're drawing curly arrows is that you're really precise with how you draw them. If it's not clear exactly where your arrow starts and where your arrow finishes, the examiner won't give you the mark. So make sure you don't leave any doubt in the examiner's mind. So where do the electrons start? That's where you start your arrow. Where do the electrons end in the mechanism? That is the, um, that's the end of the curly arrow. Now the same goes for bonds, be really precise when you're drawing them. So if you're drawing, say you've got a carbon with an OH group on it, make sure you draw the carbon bond to the O of the OH. If you put it in the middle, 
you'll lose a mark. If you put it to the H, you'll lose a mark. So make sure you bond, you actually say where the bonds are going from and to. So let's have a look at some last little minute, last bit, last minute sort of tips and tricks to do with the actual stuff you need to know. So we're going to look uh, at alkenes to start with and just run through some of the bits you need to know about those. So you need to remember that alkenes are unsaturated hydrocarbons and they contain at least one carbon-carbon double bond. Now that carbon-carbon double bond is made up of one sigma bond and one pi bond. Now the pi bond involves electrons in p orbitals that exist above and below the plane of the bond. And that means that there's no overlapping like there is in a sigma bond. Now the pi bond causes the carbon-carbon bond to be unable to rotate and that gives it a fixed shape around the carbon-carbon double bond. Now the carbon atom at either end of the double bond each have three regions of negative charge around them. And the electrons in these bonding regions repel each other to be equally far apart. And that results in an arrangement in the bonds that exists 120 degrees apart from each other, but they're all in the same plane. And that gives the effect of an equilateral triangle about each carbon atom. Now, some alkenes can be what we call stereoisomers. Now, stereoisomers are molecules that have the same molecular formula, the same functional groups, and the same functional group positions, but a different arrangement of the atoms in space. So stereoisomers occur because of the presence of rigid carbon-carbon double bonds which can't rotate. Now alkenes, you also need to know, can react uh, with several reagents in addition reactions. And the alkenes in these reactions are nucleophiles because of the, they have a high electron density between the carbon atoms at the carbon-carbon double bond. So the mechanism for addition reactions with uh, alkenes is electrophilic addition and that's because electrophiles are added um, to in the reaction. So that's what we're going to look at for alkenes. Let's have a quick look at some different types of bonding. So, so I'm going to ask you some questions, basically, and I want you to try and answer them. If you want to pause before I go through the answers, you're welcome to do that, and that's what I recommend. Otherwise, you can just listen to me go through these. So, first of all, define ionic bonding. Well, ionic bonding is the electrostatic attraction between ions of opposite charges. Now, ionic bonds are very strong, but generally weaker than covalent bonds. Name the different compound ions that you need to know for the exam. There are five you need to know. They are carbonate ions, CO3 2 minus, nitrate ions, NO3 minus, hydroxide ions, OH minus, sulfate ions, SO4 2 minus, ammonium ions, NH4 plus. So the only plus is the ammonium, the rest are all minus or 2 minus. Next, describe the structure and properties of ionic structures. 
So ionic compounds have a giant ionic lattice structure composed of repeating units of an identical structure. And their properties are that they dissolve in water because they're polar. They conduct electricity when dissolved or molten because the ions can move, but they do not conduct electricity when they're solid because the ions are fixed in place. And they have a high melting point because ionic bonds are strong. So that's everything, or that's what we're going to look at to do with ionic bonds. Last bit we're going to look at is we're going to look at equilibria. So what are the features of a dynamic equilibrium? Well, at dynamic equilibrium, the rate of the forward reaction equals the rate of the backward reaction. And it takes place in a closed system where reactants and products can neither be added nor removed. So you also need to be able to define Le Chatelier's principle. So Le, Ch Le Chatelier's principle states that a change is imposed on an equilibrium. The equilibrium position will shift, shift to oppose that change. So let's have a look at what those different changes could be. So what would happen if you changed a system in dynamic equilibrium by heating it, increasing the pressure, and decreasing the concentration of a reactant? So the position of the equilibrium would shift in order to, if you're increasing the temperature, it would shift to try and reduce the temperature. If you're increasing the pressure, the equilibrium would shift to try and reduce the pressure. And if you're decreasing the concentration of the reactants, it would try, the equilibrium would, would work to increase the concentration of the reactants. So what effect does a catalyst have on, the syst on a system in equilibrium? So you should remember that catalysts have no effect on the position of the equilibrium. All a catalyst does is speed up the rate of the forwards and backwards reactions. And that the, the amount in, by which they speed those forwards and back reaction, backwards reactions up are equal. So write the equilibrium expression, Kc, for the following reaction. So we've got um, A of A plus B of B with an equilibrium arrow goes to C of C and D of D. Well, Kc would be equal to concentration of D to the power of number of moles of D times by the concentration of C times uh, to the power of the number of moles of C. Divided by, all of that is divided by, concentration of A to the power of how many moles there are of A times by the concentration of B to the power of how many moles there are of B. Uh, so what information can be obtained from the value of Kc? So an equilibrium constant greater than one indicates that the forward reaction dominates in the equilibrium, and an equilibrium constant, uh, constant of less than one indicates that the backward reaction dominates. And that is all we're gonna look at for the content side of things. Last thing I want to run through with you is a uh, quick stress-busting tool for 
to think about how you can use the rest of your time before the exam as efficiently or as effectively as possible to make sure you go into the exam ready to go. So don't let other things distract your preparation. Make sure you're wearing something comfortable in the exam. If you can, if you have to wear a uniform, then try and think about how you can make that uniform as comfortable as possible so you are as comfortable as possible. Also have confidence that you are going to do well in this exam. You've been working two years for it, so there's no reason you can't do really well. So go into it full of confidence. And make sure you get a really good night's sleep before the exam. Otherwise, you are going to go in and you're not going to be functioning as well as you possibly can. And what happens is you'll wake up, you'll be ready to go, and I really believe you're going to go and smash it. So I just want to say from everyone here at Seneca, very best of luck for tomorrow. Um, we are all rooting for you, so good luck with that. And we hope to see you again for some of our other podcasts. And let us know how you've done. Get in contact with us on Twitter, Instagram, however you want to get in contact with us. Send us an email, maybe on the little live chat. Let Olivia know how you have got on in your exam. I'm sure she'll be pleased to hear. Best of luck, and I'll see you again soon. Good luck for your exams. We're going to be releasing night before podcasts before every exam. And if you head on over to YouTube on every weekday, we are going to be doing live streams at 4.45 and 5.30. So make sure you subscribe. And while you're at it, rate us five stars. We're amazing. (laughs) Good luck.